title of my sermon this morning is Joy from the Messiah. As much as I do my best to teach my kids about the true meaning of Christmas, every time it's the same thing. They talk about presents and getting gifts. I mean, who doesn't like getting a good gift? I'm pretty sure each and every one of us have a memory of that dream gift being given to us. There's actually a video of me freaking out when I was maybe 10 years old because my parents got me a snare drum. A snare drum is like the main, it's the main part of the drum set. You need the snare drum to have a drum set. And let's just say my parents have regretted that decision ever since. I mean, they, they, they put me down in the basement, and all they heard at you know, 6 o'clock in the morning is I'm wide awake, you know, I'm down there banging on my drums and going crazy. For me at that age, this, this was an amazing gift. I was so happy, so overjoyed because of it. Yet the gift in reality had very little significance on my livelihood and on me as an individual compared to maybe another type of gift, a gift that someone actually literally needed more than they just wanted. One night, while on his regular patrol, California Highway um, officer Kurt Keffer spotted Jordan Duncan, an 18-year-old who worked at Proform Laboratories in Benicia, Bene, oh, I gotta say it right, ben, Benicia. 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 area. And he was walking home from work. The officer started up a conversation with the young man and found out that the reason he was walking home was because his car broke down. So his options were getting rides or walking the round trip, four hour trip. And that he, most of the time he would choose to walk because he wouldn't have to bother nobody. The officer eventually he offered a ride home, and on, on the, in the ride home, he found out that the young man wanted to one day be a highway patrol officer, a police officer. A little while later, while Duncan was at work, Officer Keffer and some of his colleagues at the Benicia Police Department surprised Duncan with a brand new mountain bike, which they chipped in to get him in order to make his commute to and from work a little bit easier. I guess mountain bike would be usable there. Up here, I'm not sure if I'm not riding a mountain bike um, to work would be as uh, convenient in the middle of the winter. Uh, Keffer said, the officer said, there's not a lot of 18-year-olds out there that have this dedication. We just wanted to make sure he knew how much we appreciated what he's doing. Duncan was shocked by the bike as well as the helmet light in complimentary tune-ups that came with it, which I didn't know you can get complimentary tune-ups on your bike, but okay. Uh, now, and now calls his bike his best friend, and he said he loves the bike, so he's very overjoyed about the bike is kind of the point. Every one of us have had, had some, at one point or another, we had this joy that a child has when we receive a gift, right? You get something that you like, especially a gift, uh, you, you're just happy about it. I mean, I've been watching all these commercials, and they drive me nuts about, like, the, the Lexus commercials, and the car in the, in the driveway. I'm like, that, that's just never going to happen. I mean, Tab and I have joked about it. This is, are you honestly kidding me? I'm going to go buy her a car, a brand new car, and, and put it in the driveway without having that conversation with her. But they're always overjoyed, just like a child. And that's kind of the point I'm getting at here. Of course, the greatest gift that we can ever receive is the gift of Jesus. The gift of eternal life and our salvation through Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to look at the response that the shepherds had regarding the announcement of Jesus' birth and the joy that overtook them in, in, with their knowledge of Jesus as the Messiah being born. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you now for the change you've given me to declare your word. Allow me to declare it accurately and to the point. Allow me to say only what you want me to say. Allow me to be led by your spirit in proclaiming the word of God accurately, your word accurately, Lord. And allow each and every one of us, including myself, to partake in your word and to take something home from it today in your name. Amen. 
Okay, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So today we lit the last of the four candles, which I didn't ask Adrian. I have no clue where the Christ candle went. There was a little candle the, 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 with the cross. We need to light that one tonight. So i got to find either that candle or a replacement for that one tonight. But, and as of now, we've lit all the actual candles on the Advent wreath. I already told you what they were before. We have them, and they're on the screen. Are they? Yes, they're on the screen. We have the hope candle, which was the prophet's candle, the love candle, which I called Mary's candle, which technically the love candle is one of the purple ones, but I rearranged things because I thought pink was better. Uh, the, the second purple candle is, uh, let me get it right, we did the peace candle last week. And then technically I flipped them, but because of the text, I decided it made more sense to do the peace one last week, which represented the angels, and now we're going to talk about the shepherds, right? I think that's what we're going to do. Yes, the shepherds. And we were talking about the shepherds and the joy that we have from Jesus the Messiah arriving to this earth. Last week we studied about how the angels announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds before he did to anybody else. Part of this announcement from Luke chapter 2 verse 10 is in regards to the joy that the Messiah will bring to the world. Luke chapter 2 verse 10 says this, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. Of course, this joy that the angels are foretelling is in regards to the knowledge of Jesus and His birth. I told you last week that the Greek word for good news is, uh, is the same word that we translate the gospel quite frequently in, in, in our Bibles. It is the Greek word euangelizo. Euangelizo. It has the meaning to bring good news or to announce glad tidings, but when it's used in the uh, noun form, it means good news, or again, like we said, the literal meaning of gospel is good news. So this is the gospel that was presented to these shepherds. The angels presented the gospel to the shepherds some 2,000 years ago. The Greek word used here in verse 10 for joy is, um, comes from the noun kara, which means good or joy or gladness or the cause of occasion of joy. The birth of Jesus, of course, would be would be one amazing occasion for joy. I mean, especially after you have all those angels, I just would think that the, the shepherds had much reason to be joyful. Now, I believe in looking at the final section of our Christmas story, according to the book of Luke, that we can learn from the reaction that the shepherds had when it came to their great reason for this joy, when it came to the reason they were joyful. The, the joy of the Lord upon the lives of the shepherds brought about three different responses that all Christians should have when it comes to their relationship with Jesus. So three responses, three points. Number one, joy from the Messiah should draw us towards Jesus. Should draw us towards Jesus. Look at verse 15 and 16. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven... The shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. I want to point out a couple things. First of all, note the speed at which the shepherds reacted to this good news. They didn't say they took their time didn't say they went somewhere else first. It said they went straight away to Bethlehem, and they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary, Joseph, and the baby. They didn't hesitate. They didn't go somewhere else first. They focused on Christ, and they found Jesus. They searched for the Lord. Also note whom they gave credit to. 
the angels are the ones who announced this message. But they didn't say it was the angels who told them to go. They said they went in search of the thing that has happened which the Lord had made known to us. God made known the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. The angels were nothing more than his messengers in the same way that me today standing up here. I'm nothing more than the messenger of God in proclaiming his word. Finally, note the sign. We already know about it. The sign, of course, being Jesus being in a manger. There weren't a whole lot of babies in Bethlehem that day, let alone a lot of babies in a manger, in a stable, in a, in a feeding trough of, of, of animals. The point here is that God wants us to find Jesus. That's really it. That's the most important point here. God wants all humanity to find Christ and make Him their Lord and Savior. Second uh, Peter chapter three verse nine says, "The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." God wants all humanity to find Him. And the reality is the only way that we can find God is through Jesus. Jesus tells us in John 14, verse 7, He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's it. It's, a, it's sad because there's so many people that are searching, so many people that are trying to find the meaning of life. Yet, they're missing the point. And they're searching in all the wrong places. And as much as I, I wish that we could say there's more than one way to heaven, there's not. And that's why there's such an urgency here. And that's really my next point, so we're not going to get too far ahead of myself. The point here, though, is that God wants us to find Jesus. And my question for you is, have you found Him yet? God also wants us Christians to continue to grow in our relationship with Christ. God wants us to become closer to Him, not get farther away. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 26 says this, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Following Jesus is not always an easy thing. That's kind of an important principle here as well. Following Jesus takes work in the same way that doing pretty much anything takes work. Going to school takes work. If we're going to study the way we do, going and getting education. You know, I, I went to school. I don't know what grade am I, I say I'm in. I'm in like 20th grade or something like that. You know, just with the master's degree, just going, 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 going. I know Adrian and some of you guys who have gone even farther get that completely. It's a lot of work getting there. The same thing with a walk with Christ, with a walk with God. It's a lot of work becoming closer to Jesus. Bottom line. And it's not easy. It will not be easy. He makes that clear. But it will be worth it in the long run. Follow Jesus and you will grow closer to Him. Bottom line, this does not mean, like I said, that you're going to be free from the difficulties of life. You will face the hardships of this life, but you will face them with Jesus by your side. Bottom line, we grow in our faith through prayer, through Bible intake, and through fellowship with His church. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, to God the Father. God wants you to grow in your faith. Have you been growing in your faith? That's really the question, you know. 
If we haven't been growing in your faith, now's the time. Now's the time to, to set ourselves straight, to put ourselves on the right path of getting closer to God. I mean, that's, the, that's it. He wants us to grow, grow closer to Him. Look what the shepherds did. I mean, they left their sheep behind. I mean, you, you don't hear about this massive flock of, uh, of animals coming into the city of Bethlehem with them. They left them behind. They ran off because they knew the importance of what had taken place. Now is your time to take to make change in your life. Now is the time to change things, to draw yourself to Christ for salvation or to grow closer to Him through prayer, Bible intake, and fellowship with His saints, meaning being involved in the church. So, like I said, number one, joy from the Messiah should draw us towards Jesus. Number two, joy from the Messiah should lead us to evangelism. Lead us to evangelism. The shepherd's reaction to finding Jesus was telling others about what they found. They found him and they told other people about him. Look at the text, verse 17 to 19. Luke chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. So the shepherds told Mary and Joseph about what they witnessed. And obviously, I would assume that Mary and Joseph revealed some information about the past nine months to the shepherds, and which must have verified everyone's thoughts. They, they were just excited now. It's like, wow, we, it all makes sense now. Everything's starting to come together. And then the shepherds, after talking to Mary and Joseph, they went out and they decided to tell everyone else about this. They, wanted, they went out and they told whoever they came into contact with about this amazing interaction. Honestly, if, if, a, if, a, if, a, if, a sky, if the skies full of angels came and told you that the Messiah was born, would you not do the same? I mean, and that, that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Then Luke tells us that the, this caused other people to wonder at the things which were told them by the shepherds. The Greek word used there for wonder could also mean marvel or admire. While I am sure some were some individuals completely wrote off this story as a bunch of craziness from a bunch of shepherds. But I'm pretty sure just by looking at Luke's terminology that there were some people that truly took what he said to heart and understood what they, what they meant, what, the, what these shepherds meant. I wonder if they talked to the innkeeper. That was my other thought. You think the shepherds went and had a conversation with the innkeeper? I, I would hope so. I, I, I kind of want, want him to get his, you know? But I don't, I don't, that's not how God works. But then another interesting thought is how Mary's reaction. You see the difference between the shepherd's reaction and Mary's reaction. Mary's reaction was very inward. She thought about it. She treasured all this and pondered them in her heart. And a couple weeks ago I told you that I bet you she pondered them all the way until the foot of the cross where it all came to being. And then, of course, she, was, she witnessed her son resurrected. I mean, and I think that the very thought of her thinking about this, thinking things through, is another amazing principle we can learn from, but it's not what I'm focusing on this morning. What I'm focusing on this morning is how the shepherds didn't hesitate to tell other people about Jesus. And that should be our calling as well. Jesus' followers need to go out into the world and tell the world about Jesus, about who He is and what He's done for us. The bottom line is that if we do not do this, no one will. And that's the sad truth. Jesus, while He's giving His Sermon on the Mount, says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. 
Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And as we look around this evening, this Christmas Eve, and as we think about the Christmas season, as we light our Christmas tree or turn on our Christmas lights, I mean, what does the city of Westwood see in us? Do they see the light of Jesus being reflected? Or do they just see some superficial Christmas story? <coughs> the point is, we as Christians need to display Christ through everything that we do, through our words and our actions. In the last verses of his gospel, Matthew records the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We need to make it a point that our lives shine Jesus. We need to make it a point that we reflect Christ in all that we do. If we're not doing it, what's the point? And this, you know, here's really the honest and God truth. Reflecting Christ in all that we do means at school, means at work, means when we're out and about, means when we're on the internet, what we put on our Facebook pages, all that kind of stuff. It's difficult, but it's the truth. What do other people see in you? Do they see Christ in you? When you post something on Facebook, do you see Christ in you when you're driving to work with your music player or whatever? I mean, that's not, you know, Facebook might not be my problem. Even driving to Susanville, always that one person that's irritating me because they're driving too slow in front of me. Do they see Christ in me as I'm driving to Susanville? That is the goal. We need to put Christ on display through our words and our actions, but we also need to go out and evangelize. The shepherds not only displayed Christ with their excitement, they also displayed Christ through their words and telling people about what they saw. We need to tell people about what we saw too. Number three. Joy from the Messiah should cause us to glorify and praise God. The shepherds went forth glorifying and praising God. That's what they did. That was their reaction. Look at verse 20. And we, as we end the Christmas story um, and finish um, going through it, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. The shepherds couldn't help but worshiping God, right? I mean, honestly, after everything that took place, how could they not? I mean, between the one angel and all the angels then going and actually finding everything that they were told that the angel said was true. They found Jesus in a stable. I mean, there was animals all around him. He was in a feeding trough. You ever wonder where the animals were eating? when Jesus was in the feeding trough, just a random thought that came to my head right there. The, the point here is that the shepherds had a very good reason to praise God. He had a very good reason to worship God. And then Mary and Joseph, I'm assuming, confirmed everything, right? I mean, well, I would hope so. I mean, this group of shepherds come in, but angels just told them to come. You would hope that Mary and Joseph would tell them all about what, what they went through. And the, and the point is that there was great reason to worship God. And I don't know how they couldn't. They had to worship God. It was just—it was just almost like an unconscious response to all that had taken place. They had to worship God, and we as Christians should be doing the same. Christians experience God in different ways than the shepherds do. That's really—that's kind of the truth, right? In reality, a bunch of angels aren't going to stand before us and tell us what to do. I wish they would. It'd make life easier, but that's not how we experience God. We experience God through His Word. We experience God through His Spirit. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, He says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. 
But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And of course, that will be in you is now is in you. I mean, other parts of the Bible clearly tells us that that has taken place already. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You don't need to see a bunch of angels. You have God living inside you. It is because of the Holy Spirit that we can cry out and praise to God. Call on God our Father, as Paul writes in Romans chapter, chapter 8, verse 15 to 17. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. At some point in the two first two years of Jesus' life, Jesus is visited by the Magi, the wise men. It is not on the night He was born. It was not in the stable. The text I'm about to read to you clearly says that. After they visit Herod, and Herod's theologians, if you want to call them that, point the wise men towards Bethlehem. Um, this is what um, we read from Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 to 12. It says, After hearing the king, and that of course being King Herod, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, catch on to the house, doesn't say the manger scene, the stable, it was the house. They saw the child with, his with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to re return to Herod, the Magi left from their own left for their own country by another way. Uh, a couple things I wanted to point out, just because why not? It does not say there was three. I don't know if you guys ever realized that. The Bible does not say three. Uh, it says magi, meaning plural, more than one, but not necessarily three. Three is a tradition. And again, Jesus was clearly in a, in a house. Most people believe that he was at least two, because that's the age that Herod goes and has all the male children, two years and younger, were murdered. So within the first two years, they were still in Bethlehem. And of course, an angel is going to come to Joseph and say, hey, get out of there. And that's what Joseph does. Until the angel tells them to return to Nazareth. The point that I'm getting at is that the joy the Magi experienced led them to worship God. That's the point I'm pointing out here. This should be our response as well. It should be the response of every Christian this Christmas season. Because Jesus is the only reason we celebrate. There's no reason to celebrate. Not Santa, not the winter season, not gifts, not Christmas trees, only Jesus. He is the only reason we celebrate Christmas. Bottom line. Has the joy of the Christmas season led you to grow closer to Jesus? Tell other people about Jesus and worship Jesus. And that should be it. That is my prayer for you today. Turn your entire lives over to Him. Let's close up now with my conclusion. That there's a picture of President Obama searching for something in his couch. I, 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 I think I, was, I read the caption. It said he was looking for change. I'm going to say he was looking for his keys. You know, but I, I don't know. And that brings me to what I'm going to tell you now as I close up. One of the, the things that I think brings a lot of us joy is when we find something we lost. And the, the reason I show you this picture is because I'm going to tell you a story about when Cameron was young. She was maybe one years old, give or take. And Tap and I were doing our thing, and next thing we can't find our car keys. It's because she decided to walk off with our car keys, our house keys. It was the only set we had. 
and we spent all afternoon looking for them. Cameron had hidden them somewhere. Eventually we found them, and we were overjoyed with relief. Another example of finding joy is when it comes to finding something we lost is our car. You ever lose your car? Yes. I, every time I go to Walmart, I have to make a conscious memory in my head about where I parked my car. Because if not, I'm going to make Tabitha upset by pressing that little button that makes it go off. I mean, because I can't find my car. I mean, this has happened in other locations. Whenever you have to park in a parking garage, can't remember what level you parked on the floor. Well, let me tell you about this man who took losing his car to a whole other level. Let me press the picture there. An unidentified 76-year-old man reported to the Frankfurt, Frankfurt, Germany police back in 1997 that his Passat Volkswagen had been stolen. And 20 years went by with no sign of this car. Until one day, they were trying to demolish a parking garage, but there's just this one car that's left in the parking lot. And they couldn't figure out who it was. They eventually found out that it was his. The car was so rusted that they couldn't even move it. They had to like literally just get rid of it. It was unusable. The point is that he lost his car for 20 years. So don't complain about losing your car in the parking lot. The parking lot. Of course, the greatest story in the Bible about losing something was the, to me at least, was the story of the prodigal son. You know, the, the father had two sons. The youngest son wanted his share of the inheritance. So he asked his father for the share of the inheritance. The father gives him the money. The son goes off into a foreign city and he wastes it on sinful living. He's, he's just in every word, every possible thing you can imagine this man did to spend the rest of his father's money. And now he has to find a job. The only job he can get is working with pigs, which if you understand the Jewish people, they don't really like pigs too much. So he's working with these pigs, and he's obviously not getting paid very well because he decides that the only way that he could be satisfied by with food and fix his hunger is possibly eating the food the pigs are eating. At which point he decides that it would be better for him to return to his father as his father's slave than it would be for him to stay in the condition he was in. So the son's on his way home. He's preparing the, the, what he's going to say, Father, you know, let me be your slave kind of deal, right? As he's on his way, the father sees him from afar. And, and I think about what my reaction would be if my kids were ever in this situation. And I think a lot of us would say, well, they're on their own. They had their chance. See you later, you know? But that's not what this father did. He saw him coming, and he ran off as fast as he could to embrace his long-lost son. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says that the father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. A whole lot of descriptions in there. And he felt compassion on him. He ran towards him. He embraced him and he kissed him. Talking about affection towards his long-lost son. The son tried to give him this prepared message that he had, but the father said no. He didn't want to hear it. He cut him off. And the father then, as we read in Luke chapter 15, he tells the slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. The moral of the story is this, is that there's great celebration in heaven when someone comes to know the Lord. You see, the father in the story represents God. And, of course, the prodigal son represents those who don't know God, those who don't have a relationship with God. They're still God's children. God created all of mankind. So when these children of God finally come to Him, in whatever condition they come to Him, there is joy in heaven. As Luke wrote earlier, after the story, of the, there's three parables in chapter 15. The lost sheep, 
the lost coin and then the prodigal son. So after the story of the lost sheep, and the chief Jesus says this in chapter um, verse chapter 15, verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The only way that you will find hope, love, peace, and joy of the Messiah this Christmas season is through having a relationship with Jesus. Bottom line. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's it. You will not find joy in anything else. There will be nothing else. Are you ready to give your life 100% over to Him? Now is your time. You never know what will happen. You might not have another day. You might not even have another hour. If you do not turn your life over to Jesus, then your life is in the hands of the devil because the logical next step, if you're not with Jesus, you're with the devil. Like I said, there's only one way to God. There's multiple ways away from God. And if you're running away from Him, there's only one way to run. doesn't matter how good of a person you are. You can be the best person that's ever walked on this earth. If you don't know Jesus, then you're condemned. Then you're in trouble. And you're in the grasp of Satan. But guess what? Jesus has already won the battle. He's already won the war. All you have to do is give your life to Him, and the devil loses. Turn your life over to Jesus today. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you now for all that you've done. Bless us as we focus on you. Bless us as we try our best to tell others about the joy we have in you this Christmas season. Again, Lord, we don't have joy in presents because presents are going to go away. We don't have joy in that Christmas tree we're going to have to throw out in a couple weeks. We don't have even joy in the Christmas lights we're going to have to take down in a couple weeks. We only have joy in Jesus, the Messiah, who gave his life despite the fact that he had given no, he had done nothing wrong for us on the cross when He died for our sins, but then conquered death so we can go to heaven when we die. I thank You. I praise You. I ask that You help us focus on You. Help us remember You as we celebrate Your birth. But most importantly, Lord, help us remember what You've done for us, the sacrifice You made for us, and the redemption we have, and the reconciliation we have, so that we can one day step into the gates of heaven. I praise You and I thank You in Your wonderful name. Amen.